Women as Inventors by Ida M. Tarbell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Since 1871, the wonderful model hall in the Patent Office at Washington has been in charge of Mr. R.C. Gill. This gentleman, fitted for the position both by his mechanical skill and his enthusiasm, works with rare devotion among the thousands of devices in the department. In classifying and arranging models scientifically, he exercises care and judgment. In connection with his position, Mr. Gill has done not a little special work. One piece in particular, which is still in manuscript and whose statements have never been made public, is of much value. It is the first and only record of female inventors who have obtained letters patent from the United States for their inventions. The record is complete up to December 14, 1886. Mr. Gill gave all his leisure time for three years to the compilation of this record, with no other object in view than that women burdened by self-support might know what others had accomplished in inventions, and possibly be stimulated to efforts which would save them from overwork and poverty. Certainly he deserves kindly and hearty recognition for the service he has rendered. But what does the record show? Three things worth knowing and believing. That women have invented a large number of useful articles. That these patents are not confined to clothes and kitchen devices, as the skeptical masculine mind avers. That invention is a field in which woman has large possibilities. Popular opinion contradicts all these statements. In a late issue of this magazine, one of our noblest and best-informed advocates for more work and better wages for women, Mary Lowe Dickinson, wrote, quote, In the field of invention, woman has hardly entered upon her privileges, for only 334 patents have as yet been issued to women. Out of 22,000 issued last year, only 90 were to female inventors, and most of these are for articles of household use, unquote. Mrs. Dickinson does not make careless statements. She undoubtedly has as authority the most trustworthy figures yet published. But until Mr. Gill compiled his record, not even the half-truth was known. What are the facts? Up to December 14, 1886, there had been granted to women by the United States letters patent for 1,935 inventions, almost six times the number usually quoted. The first of these patents is dated 1809 and was granted Mary Keyes, for a method of weaving straw with silk or thread. In 1821, 22, 25, 28, 31, 34, and 41, patents were taken out, one for each year. They were for hats and bonnets, stove feet, manufacture of moccasins, whitening of leghorn straw, a globe for teaching geography, a method of manufacturing textile fabric from the external fibers of milkweed, and a corset. A narrow range? True, and a small number but quite as broad as woman's range at that period, and the number compares very favorably with her opportunities. In the 50s, 13 patents were granted. In the 60s, the number increases to 216. In 76, there were 136 granted, and in 86, up to December 14, there had been 169. With a few exceptions, the patentees have been residents of the United States. 22 in all have been granted to foreigners, including some important articles. The first of this class was to Mary Bales of England for a paper wrapper for needles. One of the most valuable patents recently granted is to a lady of Berlin, Germany, for a pocket sewing machine. Before letters patent were taken out in this country, she had received them from five European countries. 
Bare numbers are thus sufficient to show that the field of invention is one to which the feminine mind has turned and quite as largely as to most other fields formerly held exclusively by men. Compare the whole number of women physicians, lawyers, or editors with the whole number of men in the same profession, and the proportion will be scarcely, if any larger, than is the proportion of patents taken out in the United States by women to the number granted men. The clothes and kitchen argument is interesting, but scarcely as forcible as it is ordinarily accounted. For if it be true that women have patented more devices for wardrobe and household uses than in all other fields combined, it is no disparagement to her ability. An invention is an invention, whether it be for housework or millwork, and the kind of mental quality it requires is the same. It is only reasonable to expect that ingenuity will be exercised proportionately to opportunity. If the largest number of inventions in any single class belong to the industries which occupy the most of the time and thought of the majority of women, the result is what might be expected. By actual count, one-sixth of all her inventions have been granted for articles of dress. They include numerous varieties of corsets, straps, and bands, dress elevators, shields, glove fasteners, leggings, clasps of all kinds, all important devices which do so much toward making a woman's dress compact, comfortable, and economical. Some of these articles have been great successes and have brought the inventors comfortable fortunes. The proportion of patents for household contrivances is still larger. The favorite articles seem to be dishwashers, sad iron cleaners, sewing machine attachments, churns, and cooking utensils. Many of the patents suggest pictures at once pathetic and comical. Who cannot fancy the desperation into which that woman was driven who patented a preparation for kindling fires, and what must have been her experience who devised a paste for razor strops? The monotony of three daily installments of soiled dishes, the annoyance of sticky irons, the wear and tear of poor machine attachments, the maddening up-and-down movement of the old-fashioned churn, the awkwardness of early stove apparatus, have necessitated these inventions. What better field for woman to exercise her ingenuity? Any article that will lighten and brighten the housewife's grind is a national blessing. The household inventions have not only always been the most needed, most profitable, and most important, they still remain so. The multiplicity of the demands of modern life calls for more scientific methods, less muscle and drudgery, more brains and skill in the kitchen. Invention must accomplish this, and who so well fitted by experience for the work as women. Of course, where an invention for household use is simple, practical, and reasonable in price, it sells. Mrs. Hannah V. Shaw of Lawrenceburg, Indiana, is likely to make a fortune out of a dustpan which she has patented. Such contrivances mean to the housekeeper just what a successful improvement in farming implements means to the farmer, easier and cheaper work, and so must succeed. But how about other classes of inventions? Mr. Gill's record shows that there is no branch of industry in which woman has operated and not left proof of her mechanical skill. One of the handsomest models of the patent office is of a submarine telescope patented in 1845 by Sarah Mather. This is the first patent granted by the United States for a submarine telescope. Fire escapes appear frequently on the list. One of them is a particularly ingenious contrivance for turning a bedspring into an escape. From the dangers of water as well, they have contrived devices sufficiently practical to receive patents. In 1870, Sarah Saul patented a life preserver skirt. A lifeboat and life raft are in the list, most appropriately, for there are Ida Lewises to manage them. 
boot and shoemaking has been improved not a little by the inventions of women. Some good results are shown in mechanical devices. Conspicuous among the number is a machine for driving barrel hoops, a steam generator, a baling press, a steam and fume box, an automatic floor for elevator shafts, a rail for street railways, an electric illuminating apparatus, a railway car safety apparatus, packing for piston rods, car coupling, electric battery, locomotive wheels, materials for packing journals and bearings, machine for drilling gun stocks, a stock car, an apparatus for destroying vegetation on railways, another for removing snow from the tracks, a non-inductive electric cable, an apparatus for raising sunken vessels, a dredging machine, a method of constructing screw propellers, locomotive and other chimneys, a railway tie, a covering for the slot of elevated railways, besides many more of a similar nature. Some of these contrivances are very ingenious. For example, take Miss Montgomery's improvement in locomotive wheels. The invention consists in substituting a curved, corrugated beam to the periphery of the wheel instead of the usual fellies of wood or other material. As in the iron wheels of locomotives and in applying a tire of iron or steel with ribs or tongues fitting into the grooves formed by the curved corrugated beam. To give a certain elasticity to the wheel, where this may be desirable, a sheet of India rubber is introduced. An interesting contrivance has been patented by Miss Mary Walton of New York for deadening the sound on elevated railways. Everyone familiar with elevated railways has been annoyed by the deafening noise. Her invention consists in certain combinations of the rail, the longitudinal guards, and the cross ties with flooring and partitions, thus forming enclosures for bedding the rails in sand or like materials, which smothers the noise, and when the sand is covered with asphalt, the enclosed parts are protected from the weather. This list is sufficient to show that in mechanical work where women have never had opportunity for exercising ingenuity and for which all training has been denied them, there has been a very respectable amount accomplished. Where anything has been done, it has been due, of course, to some accidental opportunity. Society has been quite too proper up to this point to encourage women in becoming mechanics. A woman who possessed a mechanical bent encountered skepticism and discouragement. Her friends were troubled if, when a child, she preferred a hammer to a doll. As she grew older, she was scolded if she made kites instead of patchwork and at a later age she was in danger of hearing herself called unmaidenly if she showed a talent for the carpenter's bench rather than the piano. The experience of Miss Margaret Knight of Boston, who in 1871 patented a valuable machine for making paper bags, is to the point. Miss Knight once described to a friend her early experience as a mechanic. Quote, as a child, I never cared for things that girls usually do. Dolls never possessed any charms for me. I couldn't see the sense of coddling bits of porcelain with senseless faces. The only things I wanted were a jackknife, a gimlet, and pieces of wood. My friends were horrified. I was called a tomboy, but that made very little impression on me. I sighed sometimes because I was not like other girls, but wisely concluded that I couldn't help it, and sought further consolation from my tools. I was always making things for my brothers. Did they want anything in the line of playthings? They always said, Maddie will make them for us. I was famous for my kites, and my sleds were the envy and admiration of all the boys in town. I'm not surprised at what I've done. I'm only sorry I couldn't have had as good a chance as a boy and have been put to my trade regularly, unquote. When Miss Knight decided to manufacture a few of her machines, she met from workmen constant skepticism of her ability to superintend the work. 
It was only her persistency and the skill which they could not but respect which finally won her recognition. But how silly the popular sentiment which prevented her having as good a chance as a boy. The United States contains a goodly number of women farmers, and the thought bestowed on the business has resulted in not a few useful contrivances, notably a grain elevator, several varieties of fences, one of them a flood fence, a grain and cockle separator, a grain and malt dryer, a reaping and mowing machine, a mode of protecting fruit trees from curculio, several improvements for harness, wagons, and carriages, and a cotton picker. In dairy work, there is an excellent array, including cow milkers, milk strainers, detachable spouts for milk pails, butter tubs, churns, and the like. That favorite out-of-door employment, beekeeping, has taxed her ingenuity not a little. Among the results are beehives, a machine for manufacturing honeycomb foundations, and a bee-feeding device. The sick room has received a large number of contributions. There have been patents granted for as many as 20 medical compounds or patent medicines, not including those for salves and ointments. The contrivances for hospitals include varieties of beds for the sick, medical spoons, a table and headrest for invalids, several varieties of supports, besides many queer contrivances, ingenious and perhaps useful. In art industries, some work has been done. Perhaps the invention which attracts the most attention is that by the distinguished sculptor Harriet Hosmer. It is a method of making artificial marble, patented in 1879, while Miss Hosmer was in Italy. Two years later, a Miss Watts of Maryland also took out a patent for artificial marble. Several contrivances have been invented for firing china. Other inventions connected with artwork are for teaching drawing, for painting on velvet and oil colors, coloring photographs, and similar work. Two classes of invention in which we might reasonably expect much have very little, that is, toys and schoolroom contrivances. Not a score of patents, all told, have been issued to women for toys. We cannot conclude that women have never exercised their skill in making playthings, for there is scarcely a house that cannot show some peculiar and ingenious homemade toy. The true state of the case is that women have never patented what they have devised. The toys include nothing particularly striking unless it be one, quote, for the production of loud explosions, unquote. Whatever could have induced a woman to patent such an arrangement is not clear. Loud explosions are about the last thing needed in playrooms. Among educational devices are numerous slates, several sets of locks, a tablet for teaching penmanship, a scholar's companion, a game of fractions, appliances for setting writing copy, a book cover, and globes an array in no wise equal to the large amount of work women do in the schoolroom. The most interesting device in this list bears the name of the charming and helpful writer Mrs. A.D.T. Whitney. Letters patent were granted to her in 1882 for the invention of a set of alphabet blocks. Of these blocks, Mrs. Whitney writes, quote, The invention is a set of blocks from a half-inch cube to the same four inches in extension. The child builds the letters, thus learning them from construction, instead of unconscious and difficult analysis, which he is obliged to use in mastering the characters as presented in the whole. The invention has lain almost idle for want of any channel or agency through which it might have been thoroughly introduced. It has been warmly welcomed and approved by parents and teachers who have tested it. I am too busy in other ways to follow it up with any expenditures of time and money, but it is there to remain until called for." Unquote. 
it must not be inferred from the above statements that one invention is the limit of a woman's power. Many women have made a business of inventing and putting their goods on the market. Eliza Alexander of New York has taken out patents for a sewing machine, for several braiding attachments for machines, and for lawn tennis apparatus. In 63 and 64, Clarissa Britton of Michigan received letters patent for seven different articles, including a floor warmer, ambulance, boiler, combined boiler and dinner pail, dish drainer, vegetable boiler, and lamp burner. Variety enough to prove her ingenuity, at least. Helen Blanchard of Massachusetts has received 11 different patents. Maria Beasley of Pennsylvania has patented a variety of articles, among them the machine for driving hoops on barrels and the steam generator already mentioned. The list might be extended indefinitely. It is sufficiently long to prove the point. The record in every particular, so much more credible than popular opinion admits, is by no means the only proof of the inventive genius of the feminine mind. One familiar with the daily life of the large number of women in this country in moderate circumstances must have observed how large a part of their comforts, adornments, and advantages they owe to their ingenuity. It is inventive genius, nothing else, that enables a woman to carry a gown down from herself through a family of daughters and at last bring it out as part of the lining of a bed quilt or the cover of a chair cushion. It is inventive genius which will make half the furniture of a room out of dry goods boxes and cretone with an enviable result. The coziest sitting rooms, the neatest wardrobes, the prettiest Christmas presents are due to the inventive faculty of women. In many other departments of work, this faculty is conspicuous. Women who are connected with large establishments frequently make suggestions and improvements, which are worth large sums to the business. It is the habit to speak of these women as handy or full of ideas. Such women are inventors, their work, inventions. There are good reasons why the list is not more extensive. If a woman does contrive a useful article, it is ordinarily for her own convenience. She is satisfied in meeting her own wants or doing something original. Her ingenuity usually has no higher ambition. Her life is so circumscribed that she does not see the advantages to herself and family of a patent on her device. Or it may be ignorance about securing patents, doubt about her model, the expense to be incurred, the skeptical remarks of friends, or the demands of her daily life prevent her taking measures to appropriate to herself the financial advantages there may be in the invention. Another cause for few patents is that all training in handling tools is withheld from girls. As a bright woman of my acquaintance, herself a partner and joint manager in a large paper mill, recently remarked, quote, Girls are so entirely and totally ignorant of practical mechanics that it is about as astonishing a feat for them to originate any invention as it would have been for Noah to have invented a steam engine for his ark, unquote. When they do possess mechanical skill, it has to be picked up. It cannot be urged against them that they have no deftness. Every model they have put on the shelves of the patent office proves their skill. Many a housewife is her own carpenter, locksmith, and tinner. If she can learn to split her own kindling wood, she can learn to handle a saw and hammer. After a patent has been secured, a work must follow from which many women shrink. It is putting the article on the market. When one has influential friends, they may assist her. When she has money, it is not difficult to secure competent persons to manage her business. If she has neither, her tact, business skill, and courage must serve her. A private letter from Madame Foy of Connecticut, who has had a long experience in pushing her own inventions, 
gives several practical hints on this point. She writes, quote, In the first place, an invention should meet a recognized want. An article that does this and is practical will commend itself to the good sense of the people and can be easily introduced into market. A few nicely made samples assigned to the right parties will soon be disposed of and in a short time they will be in demand and selling on their merits. In construction, an article should be so simple that designing persons, and their name is legion, will not be able to make an article which will meet the same want at less expense and thus undersell the original inventor. Much of the success of the business built up on my inventions is due to a strict adherence to the above-described principles." Unquote. A notable case of a woman pushing an invention successfully has been given to the public recently in Madame Costin's A Signal Success, a book in which the author tells the story of how the famous Costin signals, the invention of her husband who died before their usefulness was fully demonstrated, were introduced to the various governments which have since adopted them. Madame Costin's perseverance, energy, and tact were unfailing in the enterprise, and her reward has been abundant. There is at present a healthier tone in society than ever before in regard to the kind of employments a woman may pursue. The world sensibly says, do whatever you can do well. How, not what, shall decide your fitness. A woman who has inventive skill may easily find a place in which to exercise it. As opportunities for industrial education increase, there will be little opposition to girls who desire to learn the use of tools. No improvement which a woman can originate will be slighted because it comes from the hand of a woman. It only remains for her to take full possession of a field in which there is abundant opportunity for her to win great successes and do great good. End of Women as Inventors by Ida M. Tarbell